Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 28th. On today's show, I want to touch on the many storylines that emerged from the play we saw unfold this weekend at the 2022 Miami Open. Of course, I do apologize for the lack of shows over the past few days. Normally, at the 1,000-level events, the Grand Slam events, we do try to make this a truly daily podcast, try to talk about the action that even unfolds on Saturday, on Sunday. Unfortunately, we were a bit preoccupied here at Crack Rackets. I should say fortunately, as we are so privileged to have the opportunity to broadcast so much of the fantastic college tennis happening across the country this season on Friday. We have our SEC broadcast. That action started at noon, I think ended at 10.15 at night with that Texas A&M Tennessee finish. So unfortunately, I was just dead at the end of a 10-hour broadcast as such. Wasn't able to watch the Miami action. Wasn't able to produce a podcast for all of you listeners, of course. Saturday, we were running a tournament here at Cracked Rackets. We have the opportunity to put on a level three USTA Boys 18s event here in the Midwest. As such, I spent all day on court in my role as the head tournament official and it is always fun for me to get the opportunity to referee those sorts of events just a reminder how you know different the levels of tennis are across the country and still how much enjoyment everyone can find regardless in that level of play and to see these kids compete and just again to be around the tennis to be immersed in it it's such a pleasure for me as such unfortunately still wasn't able to watch any of the Miami matches and then Sunday we have our big 10 broadcast on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel again that's another 10 hour show and just unfortunately all these matches had accumulated thankfully over the past 12 hours I've been able to binge watch so much tennis and I have many a thoughts for all of you listeners today on the action that unfolded but again I felt I owed you all an explanation because certainly the quality of play has dictated there be daily podcasts unfortunately we just did not or I suppose ran out of time and I didn't want to provide disingenuous content when I hadn't actually watched any of the matches I have now and oh boy are there plenty of things again to touch on here on today's show certainly a a topic near and dear to our hearts one we speak about quite frequently here with our guests or whether it's me doing these monologues is the rise of the American men and from the start the 97s the 98s Tommy Paul Taylor Fritz Riley Opelka Francis Tiafo they've been exceptional even Stefan Kozlov Michael Moe uh, you know JJ Wolf born in 1998 as well all of these Americans have had success for a while now, we're seeing that success translate to the highest levels of the game, and certainly as we turned our eyes towards the third round, the fact that seven Americans were still alive after a very similar thing had just happened at Indian Wells, I think that's something for American men's tennis fans to celebrate, and certainly, again, if you're watching the tennis unfold with your eyes, how can this not be one of the biggest storylines when it's American after American, whether it's now the rise of the Brooksby's, the Cordas of the world, a resurgent Dennis Kudla who played 
excellent tennis at the challenger level in Phoenix last week and saw that level translate in Miami this past week. Mackie McDonald is finally healthy and the athleticism, the shot making he brings, that carried him to the third round here of this event. And certainly, again, the Tommies, the Taylors, the Francis's of the world, they continue to shine. It's a really fun time to be an American men's tennis fan. And I want to talk about all of those guys, what's allowed them to thrive here this week. Of course, I tweeted this out last week as the action was unfolding. Linda Fruvertova, her sister Brenda as well, but the Fruvertova sisters are one of, if not the biggest stories in tennis right now. And Linda Fruvertova advances to the round of 16 here in Miami now. Obviously, there was some controversy surrounding the ending of her match against Victoria Azarenka, but I don't want that to distract from what we've seen from Fruvertova, whether it be her three-set wins over Elisa Mertens earlier in the tournament, just the level we've seen from Fruvertova over the past 12 months on the pro circuit for her to be doing what she's doing at her age, something we have to discuss here on today's show. And then, you know, again, I've mentioned this on previous podcasts before I was a podcaster, before I was a full-time tennis viewer. Uh, I have always been a younger brother to my older brother, Eric, and an older brother to my younger brother, Nicholas. As such, watching brothers have success will always be near and dear to my heart. The Surandolos are having success this week in Miami. And yes, Juan Manuel ultimately eliminated yesterday. But Francisco knocks off Gael Monfils. And just, again, these Surandolo brothers, I know I talked about them a bit last week. Want to talk about their continued uh, excellence here this week in Miami. What this says about their ceiling. Also, going to have to take a little bit of a victory lap on the Francisco higher ceiling than Juan Manuel argument. Which has certainly uh, been strengthened after Francisco's performance here in Miami. And then, you know, again, Sviantek, Kudermatova, they continue to do their thing. Sinner, survival against Karina Boost. And to see the crowd engaged the way they were. Tanasi Kokonakis. All these fun things. The American women not too shabby either. Who's looking good as we head towards the home stretch of the Sunshine Swing? These are all things I want to discuss on today's show. I know that was a long-winded introduction. I suppose that was the five-minute synopsis of what you're about to hear unfold on this podcast, and perhaps some of you only had a five-minute transition, so you're like, all right, I think I got the gist. I think I got the storylines. I'm going to touch on all of those things in depth, though, on today's show. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on this mini-break podcast is because of the support we get sincerely from all of you listeners. I'm immensely grateful that you all continue to tune in. Obviously, we are always receptive and appreciative of any feedback you have from us. I have noticed an uptick in the comments we see on iTunes. I will do my best in response to some of them, I want to say. One of them was fairly critical, and then I think it goes, and yet I see all of the potential. And to that guy, I just say, thank you for having all of those criticisms and and yet seeing the potential of this show. That's all I ever ask for. I have made a conscious effort to stop eating at least two hours in advance of recording a show. That way you don't have to suffer and you know tolerate all of my acid reflex and nonsense that happens when I do eat too close to the start of the show but you know again there are little things I know we can continue to improve on we're going to try and do that we're always so grateful for feedback from all of you listeners uh, both positive and again constructive uh, we find humor in everything here at Crack Rackets and to have a community we can enjoy and share this sport with we are immensely grateful for so thank you to all of you for continuing to listen again it's a long winded Monday here I have been 
binged watch a lot of tennis, whether it be at the pro level, whether it be at the challenger level. Shout out my guy, Paul Jubb. And obviously, if you want to hear more about the challenge level action, our Monday Great Shot podcast episode from contributors Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro focusing on all things ATP challenger level is a show for you. Uh, But again, I've binged watched a lot of tennis. I want to talk about it. The reason I'm able to do so because of you listeners, because of our Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, you all know the deal. If you want to play tennis, and boy, do I want to play tennis after watching this all of this tournament action unfold over the past week. Uh, there's only one place for you to get the latest and greatest equipment. It's with our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com today. You're going to find everything you're looking for. Shoes, socks, shorts, shirts, hats. I have to wear hats now because I'm not letting you see my hairline. It looks far more like... I just sympathize with Rafa at this point. I know the struggle he goes through trying to get that thing presentable in public. Anyways, all of the these things made possible the rackets the strings if you need any of it the place to go with our friends at tennis point tennis point.com today use our promo code cr15 you get 15 percent off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls again that's tennis point simple not the spelling tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said it's time to talk about the tennis in depth. And yes, we're starting with the American men. And my friend Lolly, whose name I don't know, but is a Twitter account that is frequently tweeting at me and mocking me in a very enjoyable and playful sort of manner, the way we like to interact with all of you listeners, that every time I get excited about the American men, he says, oh, that's great. Is one of them going to win a slam this year? To which I say, no, probably not. And he says, okay, tell me when they are. And I understand that inclination. It's been a long time. I don't need to tell all of you listeners. If you're listening to a daily podcast, you know how long it's been since Andy Roddick won that U.S. Open title. That said, do I know for certain there's a Grand Slam winner amongst the group of young American men having success right now in singles on the ATP Tour? I cannot guarantee that sort of success for all of you listeners right now. I can't guarantee it. I can't do any of those sorts of things. I can tell you Americans are now in the mix on the men's side at just about every event that's going to be competed at in on the ATP calendar because certainly we have seen the skill sets for all of these guys translates across surfaces, across events. And, you know, we'll begin with Jensen Brooksby, who just continues to scratch and claw and do all of the Brooksby sort of things. And you kept wondering to yourself if you are a frequent viewer of Jensen Brooksby, when are some of the characteristics, some of the things you feel like aren't perhaps elite traits, things that are attackable or things that you just don't feel like are replicable, when are some of those things going to catch up to him? I think at this point, we now have a year-long sample size to say those are just characteristics of Jensen Brooksby's game. And what do I mean? Well, whenever you watch a Jensen Brooksby match, right away you'll say, well, isn't his serve very attackable? He doesn't have a Taylor Fritz or Riley Opelka sort of pace and explosion to his serve. He doesn't have that, you know, Tommy Paul's sort of exceptional kick to the serve. I should put quarter in the power server uh, category as well. You know, 
Brooksby is very much a spot server, a percentage server, a high percentage tennis player. And you look for Jensen Brooksby again. What's the number that stands out through his performances throughout the course of his career? It's a guy who's routinely making 64% of his first serves. You look on the ATP stats leaderboard amongst top 50 players, first serve in percentage. Again, just making the first serve. The average amongst top 50 players is 62%. Jensen Brooksby from the get-go, and I should be uh, clear, he's averaging, uh, I should say now, 66% here on the season, but 64% for his career. He just puts first serves in play, and that allows him to begin the point from a minimum at a neutral. And then he slices and dices you, and not with actual slices and dice you, but you know he moves you around the court. He's never going to hit more than three balls in a row in the same direction. He's not going to let you get steady. He's going to just as extend his racket far enough to fire up a sky lob when he's on the run that unfortunately you're just not able to play an overhead off of. And now all of a sudden the point's back to neutral. He really does have those sorts of hands. He is going to mix in the drop shot. He's going to mix in the short angles as well. I, th- I mentioned this during Indian Wells, I think his forehand has turned into a weapon. And I'm recording this around 3 p.m. here Eastern time. I have watched Brooksby now advance to the fourth round in a 6-3-5-7-6-4 victory over Roberto Bautista Agut today. You know, the most dramatic thing you would say was he was down, what, 4-0 in the third set. To me, it's that he was up 5-4 in the second set, loses that lead, and yet still manages to overcome such a massive deficit in the third set on top of just being down 4-0 in a set. And you look for this match against RBA today. No, he did not have success on the first serve. He made fewer than 60% of it. But he just continued, you know, again, to stay the course, to stay steady, to not allow himself to start forcing slaps. And, you know, again, try and shorten rallies or allow play at Roberto Bautista Gutz's pace. He stayed playing his game. He out RBA to RBA because RBA, as I've mentioned before, he wants you to challenge him down the line. You know, he's going to leave you all this space on the deuce side of the court to let you challenge that shot because his on-the-run forehand is as impressive and successful as, in my opinion, any on-the-run forehand. And that unpredictability with his on-the-run forehand is what allows him to open up attacking patterns. And, you know, again, at the same time, if you if you get too comfortable going cross-court with him on the backhand, he'll go up the line. He'll be aggressive. He'll sneak one up the line past you. RBA is a very balanced player. He likes to play at the speed from a rally perspective that Brooksby does because if you don't have the weapon to hurt RBA, eventually he's just going to wear you down. That didn't happen with Brooksby. Brooksby was able to match his steadiness. Brooksby was able to go down the line frequently enough and keep RBA honest enough that it wasn't the match wasn't completely played on RBA's term. At the same time, Brooksby just makes so many returns in play that keeps him alive in so many service games. And there's a reason you look for him. His break percentage this season, 31.6%. That ranks fifth right now amongst uh, amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. And you look for Jensen Brooksby now by making the fourth round here in Miami. Again, it's all free points for him, really, till the North American swing begins after Wimbledon. Jensen Brooksby has worked himself all the way up in the rankings into the top 40. He's at number 36 right now in the live rankings, folks. I keep talking about this over under five and a half Americans seated at the 2022 uh, US Open. Right now, 
Fritz would be seated. He's 12 in the world. Opelka would be seated, 18 in the world. Isner seated, 27 in the world. Tiapo seated, 29 in the world. You're telling me two players above Tommy Paul, who's at 34, won't withdraw? You're telling me four players above Jensen Brooksby, or Brooksby won't rise even further in the rankings once he plays a Wimbledon main draw, plays a French Open main draw, and has those opportunities to pick up points at all the you know summer Masters events and City Open this summer? There are opportunities for Brooksby, for Paul. Corda's at 40 right now. Again, Mackey and Giron not that far off, 51-52. I like the over in that five and a half seeds. And Jensen Brooksby, his rise over these past, you know, 52 weeks, just this ascension. I mean, again, the numbers for Brooksby over the last 52 weeks from a percentage standpoint are just laughable. You look for Jensen Brooksby here in his last 52 weeks of play. I mean, the guy's 48-12 and 12 overall. He's winning 80% of his matches. You want to filter out all of the challenger matches? Fine, that's your prerogative. You look for Jensen Brooksby in just ATP-level matches here. Jensen Brooksby right now, a laughable 24-10. and 10. Again, in his first full season of play, he's winning 70% of his matches. That's how you ascend into the top 50 of the ATP rankings. And again, you look for him. Last year, Roland Garros, round of 128. He loses first round to Aslan Karatsev. Obviously, he'll get hopefully a better draw than that. This season, you look for him. Didn't play Wimbledon last year. Now, does have Newport finals points, City Open semifinals points, and then that US Open round of 16 to defend down the home stretch. But I'm saying prior to that, all the European clay court uh, tournaments, Jensen Brooksby, who's now inside the top 40 of the rankings, going to have the opportunity to build rankings points on. I'm fascinated to see how his game translates to clay because obviously he can slide into his shot and he anticipates so well, but is he that fluid on the red clay? You know, in the opportunities he's competed on the green clay on the challenger level, yeah, he looked like a solid mover. His anticipation skills translate. It's going to be interesting to see how his ball translates, particularly the backhand, which stays a little flatter. I think the forehand's gotten heavier, translates to the European clay. But again, you look for Brooksby here over this Indian Wells-Miami stretch. Round of 16 at both events. He beat Tsitsipas, Hachinov, and Carbeas Benya in Indian Wells. Has now beaten Coria, Basilashvili, and Bautista Agut in Miami. He's got the opportunity, the shot at Daniil Medvedev in Miami now in the round of 16. I mean, you're as excited about Jensen Brooksby, I would say, right now as you are any American men's tennis player if you're a fan of American men's tennis. With all due respect to Taylor Fritz, who obviously just freaking won Indian Wells and is now top 15 in the world. I mean, it's just always worth remembering Jensen Brooksby doesn't turn 22 years old till the end of October. Still 21. Inside the top 40, you feel like physically there's at least one, if not two, three jumps for him to take. And then the game continues to get better. The forehand's developing as a weapon. The serve gets bigger and hits his spots better. I think that's why his first serve percentage has gone down a bit you know, here in Miami, I think he is trying to serve a bit bigger. Um, but credit to Brooksby, who's looked outstanding. And again, Jensen Brooksby into the round of 16, now at both Indian Wells and makes the round of 16, of course, here in Miami as well with his three-set win over RBA. But, you know, beyond him, certainly Francis Tiafo, a nice bounce back for him after... I don't want to say a bad Indian Wells. You look for Tiafo in Indian Wells losing to Rublev three and four. I thought he played fairly well. You know, certainly I thought Rublev moved extraordinarily well in that match, returned so well, and you know Tiafo had his chances in the second set to go up a break and capitalize, and comes out of the match right out of the gate with the break of serve, if you remember. So I don't think Francis played poorly there, but certainly for him. 
to be the number 28 seed here in Miami, a, a place he has had success before. Beat Brandon Nakashima, 3-6-7-6-6-4 in round number one. A nice comeback victory for him. And now knocks out Manuel Serendolo, 6-3-6-2, to advance to a third-round matchup against Francisco Serendolo. It's interesting for Francis Tiafo in my or the interesting thing for Francis Tiafo in my opinion is how well he served not only here this week but just again over the past couple of seasons and you look for Francis I mean here this week against Nakashima he makes 66% of his first serves against Serendolo 68% of his first serves that's 4 and 6% above his season for uh season average in terms of just making first serves but you look for Francis, it's how well he's using that first serve to now set up the plus one forehand. And if he has any time to load on that forehand wing, to comfortably get into his backswing and comfortably make contact with the ball on his terms, it's just, I don't want to say an elite weapon because I call too many things elite weapon, but it's an effective combination, no doubt about it. And that's why he won 83% of his first serve points against Brandon Nakashima, who does a good job of taking time away from you on the return of serve. And then Juan Manuel Serendolo is going to spend, send, you know, sit six feet behind the baseline, 12 feet behind the baseline, chip return, or just throw up high loopy neutral balls for Francis to attack. Francis incorporated serve and volley. Francis sat on the plus one forehand that, you know, the success he was having swing that swinging through that ball allowed him to get into his bag of tricks, whether it be the slices, the drop shots, the short angles, all of the different things Francis does. I mean, they were all on display. And the biggest thing as always was Juan Manuel couldn't hurt him. You know, Nakashima hurt him with his by taking time away from Francis and by serving really well to the forehand in that first set. But then Francis found his rhythm on the return of serve, and Francis was taking the ball so early against Juan Manuel, and he's always played well against lefties because of just how condensed and foundationally solid Francis is on the backhand wing, and, you know, it's always worth mentioning. You look for Francis Tiafo now inside, as I mentioned, the top uh, 30 of the ATP live rankings, 37 and 24 over his last 52 weeks, and, you know, you look for him in particular of late, the round of 16 in Canada, the round of 16 at the U.S. Open, round of 32 Indian Wells, where you know, he beats Korda before getting knocked out by Hercots last fall. And then the final run in Vienna where he beats Schwartzman, beats Tsitsipas, beats Sinner, follows it up with semifinal in Stockholm. Yes, he lost to Taylor Fritz in the second round of this year's Australian Open, but I certainly think that loss has appreciated with age. Here are his losses this season. Tanasi Kokonakis in Adelaide. Kokonakis goes on, I believe, to win the tournament. He then loses to Tommy Paul in Adelaide. Tommy Paul has been one of the 10 most improved players here of 2022 uh, 2022, and has risen his way into the top 40 and is still alive, by the way, in Miami as well. He's also lost to Fritz and Rublev. That's it. I mean, those are his peers. Those are the players he's got to beat to be a top 20, top 15, top 10 sort of guy, but not a bad start to the season of Francis Tiafo, who, again, I think is just physically locked in. And, you know, when he's in this sort of state, it's just really hard for any player to be on that level and compete with him because when he's getting opportunities to use his weapons, he's going to play exceptional defense throughout the course of a match as well, going to come up with shots that are just breathtaking. He's been excellent. He's into the third round. You know, Corda ultimately survives in a third set match against Albert Ramos Vinoles. I mean, that's a match Corda's got to win every time, particularly on hard courts. But 
hey, credit to Corda. He ultimately gets the job done. A fantastic, you know, run around forehand short angle winner in that 5-3 game. He ultimately breaks to win the match in and, you know, gets the crowd going. This Miami crowd's gotten electric for the American men. It's been very fun to watch. But, I mean, you look for Corda. I don't want to say should have beaten Nadal in Indian Wells, but had opportunities to beat Nadal, a healthier Nadal in Indian Wells. You know, he's into the third round here in in, in uh, Miami, and now he's got a, a chance to certainly, you know, you look at tennis abstract singles forecast, he's favorite, the favorite, 63.2% over Amir Kesmenovic, who has been not just one of the 10, one of the five most improved players of 2022, and Kesmenovic just dominant in a straight set win over Felix Ogier Aliasim, and, you know, again, I've talked a lot about Kesmenovic over the past few weeks, so I won't repeat myself here for you listeners, but what's or you know I'll try not to repeat myself too frequently I should say but what's the weakness when you play Kasmanovich the drive he's able to produce on the backhand the you know how explosive that forehand is and you know he's gotten the backswing smaller so it's less attackable and just the whip he's able to create on that ball the angle he's able to produce he's better at driving through it now he's you know holding serve at a career high rate he's landing more first serves than ever he's playing more aggressive plus one ball credit to Kasmanovich who again I think took it to Felix no, no disrespect to Felix Kasmanovic just got the ball up on Felix's shoulder and didn't allow Felix to dictate with his forehand and anytime Felix tried to cheat over on the ad side he'd either commit an unforced error because the ball was up on his shoulder or Kasmanovic caught him peeking and he'd attack him down the line and just credit to Kasmanovic you played a great game plan but that's a really fun third round match Korda versus Kasmanovic two guys again 21 years old I want to say I think they might both be the same birth year as well two guys who are going to be in the top 50 and competing at these sorts of events in my opinion for the majority of the next decade but again all of the Americans we talked plenty Taylor Fritz through Indian Wells Taylor Fritz certainly escaped uh in his I want to say first round match right where he won in three sets yeah for Taylor Fritz his first match was the three-set win over Mikhail Kukushkin, second-round match technically in general. Now he's got Tommy Paul today. I mean, come on, that's going to be delightful. And credit to Tommy, who certainly had a tough second-round draw, but ultimately gets through Hatchinoff 6-4-3-6-7-6. And, you know, again, the the glass half-full take would be Hatchinoff is now losing those matches far too frequently. The glass uh, the glass half empty take, excuse me. The glass half full take is Tommy's now winning those matches with frequency, and he had always been competitive in these sorts of stages. But you look for Tommy now to make the run he did at Indian Wells, to follow it up with the third round here. He solidified himself a spot in the top 50, and with the European clay courts coming up, the biggest thing for Tommy Paul now, he doesn't have to worry, am I going to get into an event or am I going to have to play qualifying? He is going to get in to all of the events that he wants to play now. That's the sort of success he's had here in the fall and at the end of last season winning his first ATP title you know the run he made at Indian Wells last year as well credit to Tommy Paul who absolutely can beat Taylor Fritz I mean again no secrets between their two games two guys who have been around each other their entire lives both 1997s and you know part of that USTA training block and you know Tommy stood up at Taylor's wedding and all long history between these two it's going to be a really fun matchup today all of you should absolutely be tuning in with that said, I mean, I know Dennis Kudla fell to Tanasi Kokonakis 7-6 in the third yesterday, but for him to come through qualifying and, you know, knock out Sanego in three sets, you look for Dennis Kudla now in the live rankings. I believe he's back inside the top 100, and you look, let's see, with this run, Dennis Kudla currently sitting inside the top 100 indeed at number 78. 
I mean, not only can he now play qualifying at just about any event, get into an ATP 500, you know, any ATP 500s he wants to play, but most importantly, sets him up for grass court season, baby. If he's top 100, if he's playing Queens Club or Eastbourne instead of the Challengers, it's the point opportunities because we know what Dennis Kudla is on grass courts. He's one of the best 30 grass court players, in my opinion, in the world. That is critical for Dennis Kudla. Massive couple of weeks for him in Felix and Miami. And then credit to Mackie McDonald, who ran into an in-form Zverev uh, in round number three, but you know took it to Grigor Dimitrov in the second round, 6-1, 6-4. And you look for Mackie, as I mentioned right now, Mackie McDonald currently number 51 in the live rankings, two off his career high, but 51 should get him into just about anything he wants to play during this European clay court swing. And you know, for Mackie McDonald to be able to say that at age 26 years old, you're a professional tennis player. Mackie McDonald's making money this season, you know, serious money now because he's getting into all the slams. He's making third rounds at Masters events. Let's go. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that what everyone aspires to who wants to play professional tennis? So again, it's the various levels of depth, whether it's the youngsters, particularly youngsters, Brooksby, Korda. I don't think Nakashima looked bad in his three-set loss to Tiafo. I think he's still very much in the mix. Obviously, Tiafo, Taylor, Tommy, Riley, all taking it to another level in different ways over the past year. And then, you know, again, Mackies of the world, Garones of the world, Kudlas of the world. Last week, it was Stevie Johnson. Obviously, John Isner still sitting there above it all. And don't forget about Max Cressy, the big servant American who's hanging in the mix. That's 20 minutes on American men's tennis. Speaks to how exciting a moment it is. I mean, they continue to shine. It continues to be, you know, first since the 1990s. And is there a Grand Slam winner amongst them? To go full circle, I still don't know if the answer to that question is yes. Now, I have a bet with a couple of people about Riley Opelka winning a Wimbledon by 2026. I'll tell you what, I think it's in play. I don't think you can laugh at that bet now if I say Riley Opelka wins a Wimbledon by 2026. At A.L. Gruskin, listeners of the Mini Break Podcast, let me know. Am I crazy? I don't think the answer to that question is, well, I mean, I am crazy. But is that a crazy proposition that Riley Opelka wins a Wimbledon title by 2026? A, do we know if any of these young guys are good on grass court yet? Like, no, we really haven't seen most of them play a significant enough sample size of matches to say definitively you are good on grass, you are bad on grass. Ironically, we can say that about Dennis Kudla. I don't think we can say that about all the young guys. And so I stand by that take. I also stand by the take that this is a moment for American men's tennis. And again, it's a plethora of them continuing to shine. And for those of us who have been in the wilderness or, you know, following it on the junior level, the challenger level, the now ATP level, it's a fun time to see all of that, I suppose, investment put into these players bear fruition at the highest levels of the game. If I'm in Miami, I'm going to Taylor Fritz versus Tommy on Monday. And I'm not in Miami, but I assume some of you listeners are. If you're on the grounds, in my opinion, that's the place to be. Uh, But certainly, again, American men continuing to shine. With that in mind, not going to spend 20 minutes on every storyline, but I hope I mixed in like seven players and a bunch of results into that opening segment. Let's move on now to a topic that, again, 
I think is a top 10 storyline in all of tennis right now, and that's the Fruvertova sisters in general, but I would also say more broadly, uh, or more broadly, but I would also say what Linda Fruvertova has done this week specifically in Miami. I mean, again, how frequently are you seeing a 16-year-old make the round of 16 at a 1,000-level event? And you look for Fruvertova, who was a wild card into this event, and you can understand why her and Brenda, her younger sister, two of the top juniors in the world, and, you know, Fruvertova doesn't turn 17 until May. As such, she's still restricted on how many tournaments she can play. That said, she started to play more of late, and you look for her. She's 21-9 and nine in the last 52 weeks. That includes a run to a final and a title at the 25K in Cancun earlier this year. She made a quarterfinal of an 80K in France uh, in late October of last season, won a match at the WTA 250-level event in Cleveland last summer as well. I mean, Fruvertova is on the rise, and certainly her sister Brenda, who's had all this success at the ITF level as well. But if you've watched uh, Linda play this, uh, excuse me, yeah, if you've watched Linda play this week, whether again, even in the the own four first round win against Danka Kavinic, she was just the better player. She had the bigger weapons. She was the more decisive. She was able to hit through the court, draw the errors from Kavinic, force Kavinic to leave balls short for her to attack. The physicality she displayed in her three-set victory over Elisa Mertens, that was special because Mertens threw the kitchen sink at her. And, you know, there were a bunch of times where certainly it looked like Mertens had broken Fruvertova physically. And in particular, after Mertens took that second set 6-2, you just felt like, okay, well, all that shot making from Fruvertova to take the first set 7-5, you know, she used up the entire tank of gas, which for a 16-year-old to have even one set of tank of gas to beat someone as solid as Elisa Mertens, it's a testament to her talent. Uh, but again, then she six ones her in the third, and you know for Victoria Azarenka up six two in the first set, just blitzing her up three zero, and clearly something wasn't right with Vika. And you know again, there's a lot of bait. Was I supposed to give you by the way my two minute take on the Will Smith slap here on today's show? Because I think everyone's talking about it. I'll say this: I guess my one take on the Will Smith slap is if you spend a year preparing to be Richard Williams, preparing to be the coach of Serena and Venus Williams, you're going to have a really good forehand slap. And I think Chris Rock felt that the effects of that on his face. I will leave significant responses, serious responses to serious people. I have no serious take. That is the extent of my take on Will Smith, that clearly he's been practicing his forehand slap of late. But, you know, again, to get back to Linda Fruvertova, to see this level from any 16-year-old, I don't care if it's—I mean, the fact that she's sustained it now over three matches is remarkable. But to have even seen it in the first match, if she had lost in straight sets or lost in three sets to Elisa Mertens, I would be just as excited as I am after her victory over Victoria Azarenka. Because simply put, some people just at a very early age, they understand how to construct tennis points and how to, you know, again, put themselves in advantageous positions with the weapons they possess. Fruvertova has such command of her game at such a young age, and obviously she has the weaponry. Obviously, I think she's a pretty good mover for someone her age as well. I think she has success on the first serve, and you've seen it. She's won over 60% of her first serve points in all of the matches she's played. She fought off 9 of 12 break points against Mertens in her three-set wins. She can come up with big first. It reminds me of watching a young Fritz. She can come up with big serves when she needs it. Now, I don't think it's the most explosive shot, but again, the explosion on her ground strokes, how willing she is to go after the ball, the consistency with which, you know, again, she asserts herself on the court. 
I'm all in on Linda Fruvertova, and you look at the last 52 weeks again, 21 and 9 overall. You look for her in the live rankings was number 279 coming into the week. Certainly, you make the round of 16 at a 1,000 level event. You're going to take a massive jump, and for Linda Fruvertova, let's see if we can find how big of a jump she's taken. Indeed, number 186. 16 years old, she's into the top 200. In terms of, again, players under the age of 18 in the top 200 uh, right now, you've got Victoria Jimenez Casinceva, who I need to go look into because she's 176 in the world at 16 years old. Then you've got Linda Fruvertova at 16 years old, number 186 in the world. Those are your only two under 17s. You're only two under 18 years old inside the top 200. Worth noting, again, Brenda Fruvertova, 14 years old. She's had a new career high of number 377 this week in the WTA Tour rankings. I mean, it's just ridiculous what the Fruvertova sisters have done. And again, I don't mean to... Uh, I don't mean to accumulate pressure on them. I don't mean to put them under the microscope, put them under the gun. I don't think I am hoisting expectations upon them. I'm not saying it's time for them to win Grand Slams right now. I'm saying if you are not recognizing the success of the Fruvertovas, you really need to start tuning in because as a fan, I mean, it's the best show on television. It is... I don't know. What's the best show on television right now? That's a fantastic question. Certainly, I would say The Last Kingdom on Netflix. I haven't finished the final season. I'm saving the last few episodes because it's the final season. Nothing more depressing than the last few episodes of the final season because as excited as you are to watch, you're just like, no, now it's over. Now what do I have? And that's the best part about the tennis season is it never ends. You've got... 10 months of play, and then don't worry, you've got like a little six-week stretch, but then we get to Mudbudala, and then, you know, we've got some exhibitions thrown in the mix as well, and you even get your tennis fix when there's no professional tennis supposedly happening. I mean, certainly the Fruvertovas are happening right now. They are one of these stories to monitor, and if you've yet to watch Linda, she's got a fascinating round of 16 match as you look uh, for Fruvertova. Again, it, this Miami draw, the chaos we've seen on the WTA Tour, it continues to persist, but you look for Linda Fruvertova now, her toughest test. She's got Paula Bedosa. I mean, Bedosa, a 96.8% favorite according to the Tennis Abstract. Singles forecast, hard to disagree, just the physicality Bedosa's going to bring. You know, and, and then again, the drive she's going to play with, the relentless pressure she'll put Fruvertova in. But that's a really fun match to get to watch. And again, Linda Fruvertova, one of the stories right now in all of tennis, but certainly in particular here at the Miami Open. As you move beyond Fruvertova, I would say, again, who has impressed me most throughout the weekend's action? How about Francisco Serendolo? into a third round of a 1,000 level event for the first time. And by the way, it's not at a clay court event. It's happening on hard courts. And if you followed Francisco Cerundolo throughout the course of his career, you know the majority of his success has come on clay courts. You look for Cerundolo over the last few seasons. I would date back really to, you know, right post-pandemic where September 2020, he wins uh, his first challenger title. He then wins two more challenger titles in the month of November, makes a final at the start of February as well, makes his first ATP final in Buenos Aires about a month after that, struggled on the challenger level and trying to make some ATP main draws down the home stretch of the 2021 season. And you look for him, he was 5-8 and eight overall last year in tour-level main draw action, and yet you look for Serendolo here to start the season, makes a challenger final in Santa Cruz, then uses that success, you know, gets into qualities at Buenos Aires, makes the quarterfinals there of the main draw before getting knocked out by Diego Schwartzman in three sets, a match that I talked, as I talked about at the time, I mean, he blitzed 
Schwartzman in that first set and was up and had his opportunities to put that third set away, just wasn't quite able to get over the hump. Of course, he followed it up by making the semifinals of his, uh, of his first 500-level event uh, in Rio de Janeiro, of course, where he was once again knocked out by Diego Schwartzman. Still, two losses to Schwartzman on clay, one of them in three sets. Nothing for Francisco Cerundolo to be ashamed about. And, you know, with that success, he had gotten right around top 100 in the world and, you know, or excuse me, had cracked the top 100 and as such went over to Indian Wells to play qualifying, got knocked out Jerry Shang first round in straight sets. That's a poor loss. Then, you know, a three-set loss to Arthur Rinderkanesh, even though it's a first-round challenger loss, that's not a bad loss. Rinderkanesh is a top 50 player in the world right now. Comes here to Miami and just this run of results beats Greeks for three sets, knocks off Riley Opelka, who clearly was not at his healthiest and retires from the match, but still gets the victory there. Then a two and three win over Gael Monfils, where he matched the physicality of Gael and just played exceptional. Just his forehand can be a weapon if you give him time. And yeah, his court positioning. Too frequently, Surindolo gets caught six feet behind the baseline. And then, you know, when he does step in towards the baseline, he likes to mix in the drop shot, probably a little bit too frequently on the hard courts. But foundationally, both of his backs, you know, no hitches in his backswings, forehand or backhand. He can generate pace on both sides, much more action on his forehand wing, but great depth on the backhand wing as well. His serve can also be a weapon. And you look here in Miami when 75% of his first serve points against Gael yesterday saves all five breakpoint chances that he uh, breakpoint chances that Gael creates against Greekspor in his first round match fought off seven of the nine breakpoints that he faced as well. And then again, foundationally, yeah, his court positioning can be a little distant behind the baseline on the return, but. He's going to make that return of serve in play 90% of the time, get this point started at neutral 30% of the time on the first serve, and, you know, I would say over 50% of the time if you're throwing him a second serve his way. Just foundationally, I think he matched, again, he was able to match the physicality of Monfils yesterday, and just, he's got weapons as well that I think Juan Manuel currently uh, lacks, so I am going to take a bit of a victory lap in my Francisco over Juan Manuel in terms of upside take, but you look for Sarundolo now, he's got fascinating matchup against Francis Tiafo because, you know, the Sarundolo serve forehand combination into Francis's forehand, it is the sort of weapon that can still offset the Tiafo forehand and still make it uncomfortable. At the same time, it's not elite sort of power. And so Francis will have his chances backhand to backhand. I mean, I like Francis going down the line a little bit more. I think his slice is a bit more effective, but those guys are pretty even from that perspective. Francis is a better mover than all but maybe two players on the ATP Tour, but certainly, again, it's not as though Sarandolo will lack. And phys- the, the physicality of Sarandolo will not be the reason why he loses this match. I know it sounds simple. Who's going to serve better? I think foundationally, the Francis first serve is the bigger weapon. I think the plus one ball of Francis is more dynamic and... I think that's going to be a really freaking good match uh, as both guys try to advance to a Miami quarterfinal. Would be the first 1,000-level quarterfinal for Serendolo for Tiafo. He would get back to another Miami quarterfinal. So, again, Francisco played great. You look for Juan Manuel. He gets knocked out straight sets by Francis. Just still, what's the weapon? I see it physically. I think on clay courts, he's going to be an absolute nightmare. I know he brings in the drop shots and, you know, the short angles and beats you to the spot with his speed. So exceptional at hitting the first passing shot. If you give him two passing shots and a point, he's going to pass you. 
at the same time yeah he hits the serve a little bit better i like that how he hits his spots i like the lefty slice he has on that serve i still need to see more weaponry from Serendolo. physically he's a top 100 player ground strokes he has top 50 top 30 sort of consistency and just the way he pesters opponents point after point after point i love the way he competes as well but how is he going to make life easier for himself because just having to play that game style on a faster court miserable certainly these conditions have been optimal for juan manuel and yet still francis tiafo able to take it to him because he's able to match the physicality but has the weapons as well still top 100 brothers in singles i don't think anyone is going to be down on that it's really fun to watch obviously the next generation of argentinian talent emerging the serendolos at the forefront of that right now and in the post delpo era you know schwartzman's always going to be leading the charge but there's a bunch of different guys who we've talked about repeatedly and you can hear about extensively week after week as they're having so much clay court challenger success on damien and Jakob's show that said, shout out to the Serendolos. I thought they played excellent tennis throughout the course of the weekend. And Francisco, maybe one of the upsets. I mean, there have been a lot of upsets, right? Kudla over Sinego, Kyrios over Rublev. I'll talk about Kyrios in a second. He's played outstanding. Kokonakis, who I'm going to get to. I, I guess I'll get, well, I'll get to Kokonakis in a second. There have been a lot of survivals. Sinner, certainly, as well. For Hugo Gaston to knock off John Isner. I mean, that was hilarious. But, you know, again, for Francisco to knock off Gael Monfils in the fashion that he did, he just outplayed him. He outworked him, and I don't think Gael played poorly. So that's a fantastic win for Francisco. With that said, a lot of other storylines, again, for us to touch on. I'm not going to hit on every match, and I don't want to break down the details too much of any match specifically because if we start to do that, this will be a three-hour podcast. With that said, Iga Svantec just continues to do her thing and when you look for Iga here who obviously will assume the number one ranking following her victory in the tournament uh, earlier I believe it was her first round match two in love over Victoria Golubic but you look at the scores for her, two in love over Golubic 0-3 over Madison Brangle I mean two vastly different players that Brangle got three games even was a bit shocking to me because with all due respect to the consistency and the you know, relentlessness of Madison Brangle, she just doesn't have the weapon to hurt Iga Sviantek with. And there are times when the Madison Brangle serve is almost like a drop and hit feed to Iga. And Iga just crushed two opponents she should crush coming off of playing, you know, again, extensive match play over at Indian Wells. And she looked fresh and she got off the court efficiently. And now for the back half of this tournament, she has fresh legs and she's reset and ready to as fresh as you can be in the back half of the Sunshine Swing. And look, now things get tough for Iga as she's going to take on Coco Goff next. And she's an 80.1% favorite in that match, according to Tennis Abstract. And, you know, she'd be a significant favorite over a Veronica Kudermatova, who was the beneficiary of a withdrawal as Kudermatova advanced over Delma Golfi in that her first round match 5-1 and then a retirement that said Kudermatova rolled Shelby Rogers yesterday one in five and just I mean rolled might be a stretch but you know again even as Shelby found her form found her rhythm was able to strike the ball a bit cleanly Kudermatova hits the serve plus one combination so effectively just relentlessly badgers the open court in the first set and then has you thinking and starts attacking behind you and there's a reason you look amongst uh top 50 players on the wta tour over the last 52 weeks veronica kudermatova in terms of her hold percentage right now i mean kudermatova shockingly shockingly folks 
She's exceptional in terms of her hold percentage. Veronica Kudermatova at the moment ranks 16th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. She's holding serve 72, uh, 73, excuse me, percent of the time. She's t- it's a top 15 trait. And as such, if you have that sort of trait, you're going to continue to win matches. And that's why I'm not shocked to see Kudermatova on this tear here to start the season. And again, she makes the final of Melbourne 1 before getting knocked out by Halep. She third rounds in Australia, gets knocked out by Maria Sakari. A first round loss in St. Petersburg, 7-6 in the third though, and it was to Belinda Bencic. No shame in that loss. She then makes the final in Dubai. And yeah, Certainly, when you look at the draw, she played a Victoria Azarenka not at her best, a Garbine Muguruza who struggled this year, a Jill Teichman who she knocks out in three sets, who was finally healthy, but certainly hasn't played her best ball this year, hasn't gotten in a rhythm, gets a withdraw in the semis, but makes the final before getting knocked out by Ostapenko. And yeah, bad loss in Doha to Ronk but she made the final the week before in Dubai, and then quarterfinals in Indian Wells, beats Von Drusova when they actually play, beats Buzkova, beats Osaka before getting knocked out by Bedosa. The results are that of a consistent top 30 player, and I keep saying there are 40 top 20 players right now on the WTA Tour. Kudermatova continues to stake her plane, uh, claim to that. She is very much one of the candidates to be this season's Sakari or this season's Conteve were a big result at a Grand Slam. And certainly we've seen big results from her now at Indian Wells in Miami to make the round of 16 at both. Extraordinarily impressive. Only her, Iga, Paula Bedosa, you know, a couple of players have done it. But you look for Kudermatova now, new career high, 21 in the live ranking. She wins one more match in Miami. She's going to crack the top 20 for the first time in her career. And you look for Kudermatova now in this draw. She is going to face a Petra Kvitova, who's a 56.8% favorite. But Petra Kvitova has struggled severely throughout the course of this season. You look uh, for Kvitova here on the year again. First round loss, uh, or excuse me, first round loss, yeah, in Australia to Kirstea. Lost to Begu in St. Petersburg to Burton's in Doha, Ostapenko in Dubai, Sakari in Indian Wells. You know, again, she's, you know, Priscilla Hahn in Adelaide. She's had some bad losses, but she's certainly yet to earn a signature victory. Her best win on the season, at least highest ranked, probably Sasnovich in three sets, first round Indian Wells. And with all, I mean, I guess she beat Sapolanka in Dubai, but I'm not even counting that one. Kudermatova's played better ball than Kvitova this year. She can advance to another quarterfinal. She does that. She's in the top 20, and deservedly so, given the results we've seen from her. Just, again, the consistency last year through Charleston, and she backs that up here this season, takes it to another level here, and will be fascinating to see her compete throughout the course of the clay court season. Then it feels like she's got a lot of opportunities to pick up serious points throughout the remainder of the year. So credit to Kudermatova. Credit to Ika. They both continue to do their thing. Obviously, two of the more successful players here in the sunshine swing. Speaking of, again, I, I want to change gears and, and talk about some survival we saw on the men's side, just some good matches we've seen unfold. Crowd was absolutely electric. That was a bad transition, by the way. I'm well aware of that fact. I'm just going to talk about something new now because I'm done with the Shviantek Kudermatova topic. Let's talk about Sinner and Kokonakis, who have both survived on their way to the third round here in the men's action. And isn't it exciting? We're finally going to get the Sinner uh, Kyrios action in the round of 16 that we deserve. And, you know, certainly, oh, by the way, I, excuse me, I said to the third round, to the fourth round for both guys. But you look for Yannick Sinner yesterday, absolute survival as he fights off, what was it, four match points, five match points to win 7-5 in the third over Kareno Boosten. Of course, 
Feels worth mentioning. Sinner served for the first set, up 5-4 against Karina Busta. And, you know, again, had his opportunities to probably win this match in straights. But given his health issues of late and just, you know, again, given the few matches he's played that physically he was able to survive this test and, you know, again, the aggression he was willing to play with down 5-3 to break at love to get back to 4-5. And then what he fought off, I believe it was five match points. And of those match points, you know, certainly there's a missed return, I think, a missed second serve return that Carreno Busa would like back. He also, after a 10-15 shot rally, had a backhand down the line where he had opened up the space beautifully, and he just missed the backhand wide. That's the ball he wants back. The rest of them were just good points, well fought off by Yannick Sinner. And then again, once Sinner got the break, he was playing with confidence. He had the crowd behind him, which has been something Sinner has done so much better, is embracing the crowd and using their energy to propel himself forward it was a really exciting result, and, you know, again, for Sinner to earn that victory, Sinner got a win over Rusevori, 7-6 in the third, a 10-8 win in the second round as well. He's been pushed to the brink, last year's finalist, in both of these matches against tough opponents who were playing well. Carreno Busta made that match a nightmare physically, and yet Sinner matched the test, and, you know, again, very easy to get on the Carlos Alcaraz bandwagon of late. He was exceptional at Indian Wells. He won a title in the clay court swing in South America. He's doing everything. You know, he probably beats Nadal if they play that match 10 times. He probably wins at least two or three of them. Alcaraz is a top five story right now in all of professional tennis, men's or women's, and justifiably so. Sinner is still on that tier in terms of young talent. Again, as good as Carlos Alcaraz is, I think Yannick Sinner can accomplish a lot of similar things. He's just so relentlessly good, and maybe it's not as wow. It's not the sort of wow-you athleticism that Alcaraz has, and maybe it's not quite the flair for the, the natural flair for the dramatic that Carlos Alcaraz has. But the shot-making, the power, it's extraordinarily exciting. And that was a really good victory for Sinner to survive. I thought it was also impressive for Tanasi Kokonakis, who was down match points against Diego Schwartzman, comes up with a money on the run backhand passing shot down the line, ultimately wins the set in a breaker 7-6, wins the match 6-4 in the third, then earns a three-set victory, 7-6, 4-6, 7-6 over Dennis Kudla. That Kudla even had matches, uh, legs left in his match, uh, legs left in his on his body, any gas left in the tank leaving in Westoff I apologize one listener uh on the comment said Alex you need to slow down that was probably indicative of one of those moments where I did need to slow down Tenacity Coconac see I like maybe we'll start doing this just incorporating things you guys have to say that would be very fun for me Coconac is just he, there's just a confidence about him. He's just got it. Like, again, some people are big match players. Some people, when the chips are down, they're going to keep swinging. They're going to swing freely. They're going to be confident. They're going to go down on their terms. That's what Kokonakis does. And the serve, the forehand, are obvious top 50 weapons. He gets better physically as a mover. Still a little stiff in the hips, but uses his size and his length and his anticipation to, I still think, move pretty well. You know, again, doesn't move great to the backhand wing, but is getting better and better at it. I think the slice that he so frequently hits on the backhand has gotten more effective. I mean, at the same time, you know, Kudla had his chances, Schwartzman had his chances, and yet it just speaks to the heater Tenasi Kokonakis is on that he advances to the fourth round. And you look for Kokonakis now with all the success he's had in the first third of the year. He's up to number 83 in the rankings. 
Worth remembering, he's still just 25 years old, and you look for Kokonakis, who played a ton of challenger events last season. Now he's top 100. Now he's going to get to play ATP-level events, certainly get into qualifying of the big stuff, main draws of everything else, main draws of slams as well, an opportunity for him to pick up some points. If I tell you Tenassi Kokonakis makes the round of 16 at Wimbledon, would you be shocked by that? I don't think I'd be shocked by that. I'm going to, you know, again, that's a hot take I'm going to keep in my back pocket, but Kokonakis, one of the best stories, certainly, of this season, and he's healthy again. This is why everyone was always so excited about him. He, he flashed it when he beat Federer in Miami all those years ago. Now he's into the third, uh, fourth round here of his own volition, and again, very winnable match for Kokonakis here next. Uh, just kidding, as he's got, well, not just kidding. He's going to be an underdog against Alex Virov, but I mean, Zverev played so well against Mackie McDonald, and I thought Zverev played well in his first-round match as well, despite being pushed to three sets against Borna Chorch. I thought there were pockets of moments where you thought, okay, that that was better tennis for Alex Zverev. At the same time, that's the big match moment where Tenassi Kokonakis thrives, and that's a fun round of 16 match. I'm going to ignore that 86.3% favorite uh, that Tennis Abstract singles forecast makes Zverev. That will be a fun one to watch. Again, as we rapid fire through some of the final storylines, how about, you know, I talked a lot about the American men at the beginning. How about the American women? And, you know, the American men may win the best uh, best actor, best actress award here, but best supporting actor, as always, can be the WTA women, you know, the American women and just the WTA women. Hey, great shot. The American women as, you know, just again, quietly, four of them into the round of 16. Ali Risk, Danielle Collins, Jess Pagula, Coco Goff. I thought Jess Pagula straight sets over Alina Rabakina yesterday. I, it's not that Pagula played particularly well. It's that she allowed Rabakina to defeat herself. And, you know, again, that wrinkle, you know, Pagula made a, because of the depth and the drive she gets on her first serve, it just didn't allow Rabakina to tee off on the plus one, and yet Rabakina's mindset is, I tee off on the first ball, I get the chance to do so. Pagula put her in tough places to do that, and, you know, again, placed her serve well to get Rabakina stretched and had Rabakina in the outer thirds, which is just efficient, and now Pagula's into the round of 16 in Miami, where Jess Pagula now is going to have a very winnable match against Angelina Kalanina. Uh, who finds herself in the round of 16 pretty impressive as well. But, you know, as much chaos as we've seen in the top half of the draw, it's been a pretty steady bottom half of the draw. Certainly Fruvertova, Kalanina, uh, unexpected, I suppose, visitors in this round of 16. Kalanina, not that unexpected if you've been watching closely. Uh, but, you know, everyone else still alive in the bottom half of the draw is a seed and you know, again, uh, Pagula still alive. Coco Goff into the third round, or, or into the fourth round, where now she's going to face Iga Swiatek, and you look for Goff six and five over Shui Zhang, and five and four over Chang Wang. She's just beating the players she should be beating. You know, making those match physical, finding solutions, holding serve, and finding big first serves, and opportunities to be aggressive when she can. Good result, I thought, for Coco Goff to get to the third round, where now she's got Iga Swiatek, and let's be honest, this is a matchup we could see not just only over the next decade, but hopefully over the next 15 years as well. So that's a really fun result. Uh, again, 
what else do we have for you from oh danielle collins who knocked off on jabour earlier today to advance to the quarterfinals great to see her healthy and playing her best tennis again uh, obviously we know what she did by making the finals in indian uh in in the australian open but you look for danielle collins with this result she's at a new career high folks right now number eight in the live ranking she can stay there bar, barring some crazy things happening i suppose from a result standpoint but uh again very very cool for danielle collins to see her healthy again and just playing good tennis i mean the power tennis she just attacked every own Shabur second serve that stayed short i was able to watch some of that in my binge of tennis earlier today um but again that's where the americans are and then you know final takeaways as we look at where things stand round of 16 for the women getting underway today second half of the round of 32 for the men underway I mean, I continue to think the favorite to win Miami is Naomi Osaka, who's just played exceptional ball, and I talked about it a bunch last week, but you look for Osaka now. Uh, she's got Ali Risk here today and then would have Danielle Collins in the next match. I mean, when she's landing the first serve and just hitting as freely and cleanly and moving as well as she is, it's a reminder that, in my opinion, even if Ashley Barty hadn't retired, but certainly post-Ashley Barty, her ceiling is the highest ceiling on a hard court of any player on tour. I mean, Gavrilova into the uh, Daria Gavrilova into the quarterfinals is a uh, round of sixteen is a pretty cool storyline. Certainly, I think Belinda Bencic is playing really well, and she got a comfortable straight set victory over Heather Watson to advance to round four. And you know, she's got a very winnable ma- match against Alexandra Sasnovich to get to the quarterfinals. I think we're destined for an Osaka Bencic semifinal, which. Again, that's a that's a really fun matchup. Two players born 1997 who, you know, have accomplished a bunch of things and have been competing against one another for quite a bit of time. So that's the top half of the draw. And then again, Bedos is playing really well. Kalanina is just relentless. And that relentlessness has provided, you know, opportunities for her. Three sets over Haddad Maya just, you know, again, broke the lefty down, was able to absorb enough first strikes. And you look for Kalanina, you know, the three-set win over Madison Keys, ditto for her in round number one. She's moving extraordinarily well, and again, she just puts pressure on you. Going to continue to make shots, and you know, again, physically right now, just a nightmare to play. So she's making the most of the physical conditions in Miami. That's where things stand on the women's side in terms of the action remaining on the men's side. And again, we'll get into all of the individual results here for the rest of the week. I know I'm talking more broadly here, not too specifically as we try to run through all the storylines. I mean, Kyrgios is just locked in, and again, watching him play center in the fourth round is going to be really, really fun. If he serves this well, as always, and just seems to be fit right now, you can beat anyone in the world when he's this, uh, when he's playing like this on the court. Uh, certainly, again, Tiafo, Francisco Serendolo is going to be fun. Casper Ruud quietly into the round of 16. Comfortable win for him over Sasha Bublik yesterday. Good bounce back for him uh, after a, a disappointing start to the season. Certainly some health issues, the reason for that, but... Rude Nori, that's a fun hour and a half of, uh, excuse me, two hours of physical tennis. Uh, again, I mentioned Zverev, Sinner, Tiafa, all that. That's the bottom half of the draw. You look at the top half. You know, Medvedev, comfortable win over Andy Murray. It just Murray didn't have the weapons to hurt Medvedev in any sort of fashion. Medvedev serving extraordinarily well, and he got a comfortable straight set win over Pedro Martinez. You know, now he's going to take on Jensen Brooksby. Sign me up for that. That's going to be really, really fun. Hubi Hercots, he's looked good. You know, straight set victory for him uh, over Arthur Rinderkanesh. And just, you know, again, it was plus one tennis. A lot of holds of serve in that first set. But then Hercots today playing a physical match to knock off Aslan Karatsev. He's probably, you know, he plays the winner of Nishioka versus Lloyd Harris. 
You just feel like that's a matchup, Harris, with his serve, how heavy it is, his size against Nishioka. It's just a major deficit. You feel like Harris wins that one, but hey, 52.1, 47.9 split according to Tennis Abstract. So Nishioka has had a ton of success of late still. I like the opportunity. The, you know, again, that section of the draw, Medvedev, Brooksby, Hercats, whomever, that's a very fun section. And then Tsitsipas, Demon Hour, that'll be fun. Alcaraz doing Alcaraz thing. He's got Chilich. Fritz, Tommy, Paul, Korda, Kesmenovic. It's good stuff on the men's and women's side. It's going to be a very fun home stretch to the Sunshine Swing, and hopefully you'll stick with us for your coverage of all of that action. We'll be here each and every day throughout the week. I'm going to get a couple of guests to join me as well as, again, exciting stuff down the home stretch of the Sunshine Swing. Of course, if you've missed out on anything, you can catch up on all of the action with us here at Crack Rackets by going to our website at crackrackets.com. Uh, of course, if you're looking for college tennis coverage, folks, you know we are the place for you. We've got our broadcast every Friday of all things SEC tennis. You can find that link on the websites on all of the team pages. Of course, every Sunday, we're on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. For our Big Ten cross-court cast, we've got our live shows Tuesday and Thursday night covering all the division one men's and women's action we're talking to coaches players on our cracked interviews podcast got to get more pro content on there i fully acknowledge that hopefully i'll be able to refocus and do that here uh, throughout the european clay court action but again for all of your content our one place to go it's our website crackrackets.com for the immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at al gruskin a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of this content possible a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 a and again a reminder content on the great shot podcast on our cracked interviews feed on our youtube channel don't forget to like rate subscribe review to all of that as well but with all of that said for super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.